Walk in Your Excellence. I'm your host, Sean Larry, and thanks for listening into this week's episode of Walk in Your Excellence. You know, for some strange reason, Selena, you guys remember that movie, Selena? It, it was one of my childhood favorites in my high school. I remember singing Beady Beady Bumba all over the house, but one memory actually sticks out to me was my, my little sisters watching that movie, and literally their faces were about two inches from the TV screen, and they were bawling their eyes out, crying at the very last scene when Selena's life was taken way too early. And her impact as a Latina woman uh, and the world was so supremely profound. Uh, Imagine the impact that she would have had if she had a full life. In August of 2009, I remember being so proud of the progress that Latina women had made when Sonia Sotomayor became the first woman of Hispanic heritage, the first Latina to ever be appointed as the Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. Well, you're in for a treat. My next guest is a game changer for Latina educators. Not only does she remind me of the young, spirited, and talented Selena, but her trailblazing work in the world of education is incomparable to anyone else. When I think of her, I think of Sonia Sotomayor. This very special guest, Veronica Avery, obtained her bachelor's degree at Rutgers in literature and English. She then went on to receive her master's degree in teaching and learning. She has worked in schools for over 15 years, ranging from coaching teachers, creating curriculum, coaching principals, and currently is a school leader in one of our most marginalized cities in America. She is proving the possible, proving that Latina women are powerful. Please join me in welcoming the lovely Miss Veronica Avery. Welcome, Veronica. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I need to hear that every morning. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you say wow? Um, you know, I think sometimes hearing yourself alongside other Latinas makes you feel like, here's here's why I do what I do, mm. right? So that I can be uh, spoken about in the same breath as yeah. powerful women like Sonia Sotomayor, for yeah. sure. So yeah, that, humbled. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you're destined for greatness. Like, you're already impacting thousands of lives in the work that you have done and is currently doing. And it, that def- definitely resonated with me. I went back to my high school a couple years ago to be the uh, Black History Month speaker. And I walked in, and it was the most magical moment when they had, like, a collage of amazing, like, you know, Martin Luther King, Maya Angelou, Barack Obama, Michelle. And they had a picture of me that they took from a magazine when I was um, a teacher in Teach for America. And literally, I'm in the middle of this collage surrounded by so many amazing people. And I'm like, take that down. Like, this, <laughs> you're not going to put me in the same breath as, like, Maya Angelou and Barack Obama. But truly, like, you should walk in that excellence, which is why you're on this show, because you are such a powerful woman, uh, such a trailblazer. And, like, there are so many young women who are looking up to you every single day and saying, like, wow, I actually can be who she is. Thank you. Uh, and so I personally thank you for doing the work that you do as an educator. And thank you for coming on the show. So I talked a little bit about Selena, the movie. I want to, uh, this totally off like off the script right now, but how did you feel about that movie? So first, I love J-Lo, mm-hmm. and I often, uh, like, I'm like a meme fiend for her, right? Okay. Like, uh, <laughs> I feel like every meme that shows her face and uh, and it says something fierce that she says, I, I adore and, and, and send out to my friends all the time. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Selena. My I remember my cousins and I, uh, Sue and Joanne, were would watch the movie over and over, and mm-hmm. then absolutely cry. Yeah. Um, at the end. Yeah, it's a pretty sad movie. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I, mean, I was I was crying a little bit. Yeah. My cousins and I still definitely quote a lot of the lines from the movie mm-hmm. as well. So um, yeah. definitely impactful to see a Latina center stage like that, and yeah. then uh, just seeing somebody that was able to cross boundaries and just like be loved. Yeah. Um, by so many different cultures. And so sure. young. I forget what age she died at, but it had to be like 23, 24. Super I believe she young. She was in her 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me. Veronica, who are you? Like, talk to us about who Veronica is. Uh, let's see. I am a mother first. Okay. Um, How many children? I have two children. Wow. Uh, yeah. Camilla is uh, nine and Caden is seven. Okay. And I am a wife. Okay. I am a leader in Newark. Um, I am a sister um, and a sister. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I just believe to be uh, the best that I can be every single day. So. Nice. Nice. Walk me through um, your your childhood. I want to hear a little bit about like why it is that you do the work as an educator. Yeah. So, I mean, starting off with my childhood, I was uh, born in Brooklyn. Okay. And uh, very early on sort of like learned about love and relationships mm-hmm. and uh you know what uh, love for a man can do to a to a woman. Mm. My mother fell in love with my father at a young age. She was in her early twenties, and uh, you know, Colombiano from Medellin came mm-hmm. here and busted tables for a long time, and then sort of got fed up with that, okay. and ended up uh, selling drugs. Um, got caught with um, Your a mother. pretty uh, my my father. Your father got caught with a um, you know not doing the best deal, and uh, eventually lost his life when I was seven. Wow. In the meantime, my mother had remarried, and she ended up remarrying just the wrong person again. He was uh, addicted to crack and mm-hmm. did heroin and things like that. And I just remember living my life through my mom's eyes, like every single day, through wow. what every day would bring and how every day was different. And Brooklyn, you know, has a lot of those memories. So mm-hmm. I spend time there now. I don't live there now, but when I do go, I, it's often bittersweet and hard to sort of be there and be in the neighborhood where I remember so many things happening. Yeah. To me. Yeah. yeah. So I want to I want to dig deep a little bit even more about your childhood. And so I know for me personally, a large part of my childhood actually informs the work that I do. Like, and I think that you might that might resonate with you. Uh, it, inter- it, it definitely informs how I interact with the world and how I see things. And you definitely mentioned that already. Um, our stories are very similar in some respects in that like I was surrounded as a kid by drugs and violence myself um, for all of my life, honestly. And I distinctly remember as a kid, I just wanted so much more from life. Um, my grandmother, don't get me wrong, my grandmother held it down as like the backbone of our, our family and took in all of my brothers and sisters. Um, but I know that the things I saw and experienced certainly pushed me to be uh, an educator and to like let, let people know that regardless of the circumstance, when you do invest in your education, like that's the key to success. And I saw that no one in my family had graduated from high school, and that must have been the, the, missing, the missing link. How do you think like some of the experiences you've had as a child impact the choices that you've made as an adult? Yeah, I think that um, early on I wanted out. Uh, you know, mm. I didn't know what out meant, right. but I knew that I didn't want to see that every single day. Yeah. Um, and while my mother similarly did her best to love us and, and to give us what we needed, mm-hmm. um, she couldn't. Um, her life was overwhelmed with, uh, you know, her relationship with him. Gotcha. Um, but in spite of that, I think it taught me um, that that out meant 
a couple of things for me. That one of the outs was college. Okay. And that I needed to make money. Yeah. And it really wasn't about the education as much as it was that I knew I needed a job mm-hmm. that paid a lot of money right. in my eyes at right. the moment to get out. <laughs> um, so I was in school and I always did what I had to do. And even when things were hard, I focused on my education because I knew that that meant my ability to make choices for myself yeah and that's what I wanted gotcha you mentioned money I want to definitely talk about that a little bit more right because I think well I went to college and I was dead set on being a doctor um and I think like 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 most minorities especially those of Caribbean descent like us you know you have very few options you're 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 they tell you to go to school become a doctor become a lawyer or go into banking and I think I had a different connection because I have a I have a heart condition, and so I went to college wanting to become a cardiologist for a specific reason, and not because anyone told me to. But in March of my senior year, I made a drastic decision to join Teach for America, um, move up my life down to Washington D.C., a place I was not familiar with, um, and become a teacher and go into education. Now, educators don't make money, and you mentioned money, so talk to me about why you decided education, and and like what's sustaining you, like. Through, through continuing within this work? Yeah, so I um, I first wanted to be a dentist. Okay. So I started at Rutgers and I was gonna be a dentist. I don't know why I chose that. Right. I'm pretty sure that I had a cousin who had an aunt that was a dentist and made a lot of money. Right. And I thought that, <laughs> right? Um, I see and money then, is a theme here. Yeah, you know, I knew that I had choices if I was able to make it, right? When you grow up poor, that's all you, that's like, all you dream think about, of, for right? Sure. Facts, day. facts. Um, so, um, I remember getting a little job uh, for financial aid, like part of my package, and it was tutoring children Mm. in Newark. And uh, I walked in the first day, and I fell in love with the kids, and I enjoyed going every single day. Mm. And I never left uh, just like the educational world in Newark. I've stayed on since then. I switched my major. I'm a traditional route teacher, so I graduated with my my certification, and I was Mm. super proud of doing my research in the city of Newark. Um, and then staying there and accepting a job there. And I've been there ever since. Nice. So Newark is your home now. Newark is my home. Nice. You mentioned that you took the traditional route. And I know that, like, I did not take the traditional route, right? I joined Teach for America, and there are a lot of uh, both positive and negative associations with it. What's your view having, you probably coach a lot of teachers who are, have taken the traditional route, or maybe the majority of the people who you manage on a daily basis are Teach for America. They what are. are the differences, and, like, what's your opinion? Um, are you pro Teach for America, con, let me hear anything about it. So I think I've, I I think that my opinion towards it has transformed. I think in the beginning when I didn't know much, when I was still in the traditional public uh, school world, um, I didn't know anything other than they say they came for two years and then got some grad school money and left us. Um, So I sort of was uh, anti-TFA, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know much. I said, I would say that I I didn't know a lot of the details. When I moved into the charter school world, I met the forever TFA folks Mm -hmm. and I uh, respected the, the idea. And a lot of times when you ask TFA people, uh, they always said, like, that was my entry. I needed to get in, and I needed to find a way to yeah. get placed, and, yeah. and that's why I did the program. So yeah. uh, for that, I, you know, cheers to their to their approach. Yeah, yeah. I th- I'm always conflicted because I am Teach for America, and I remember being a part of the organization as, you know, a 20, 21-year-old recent college grad. I think I knew it all about educating kids and really feeling a sense of, like, resentment towards the people who I knew we're going in just for the two years, right? To have Teach for America on your resume, 
it's, it was a big deal, like back back then. And you got into med school after you got into law school after you did your two years of giving back. And calling a spade a spade, the majority of those people were white, mm. right? Young white women graduating from elite institutions going to save black children, and that's the stigma associated with it. Uh, but it's interesting to hear how your perspective has changed because you met people who were lifelong um, lifelong educators. Do you consider yourself to be a lifelong educator? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I will forever be in Newark. Okay. I, I doubt that any offer would ever come my way that wouldn't be, be, move me anywhere else. That's powerful. Um, and, uh, you know, even still a, in a leader, I take every opportunity to teach. I'm teaching on Monday and mm-hmm. um, any time that I can get in front of the kids and actually, you know, show teachers what I want them to do and actually do it myself at yeah. a really high level, I, I do it. Nice, nice. I want to talk a little bit about like your identity. I think like as a black man, I face my very own um, unique stereotypes. Uh, you know, the the the. I think that in America there exists in a deficit-based narrative to who we are, and so we turn on the the television and it's like black men doing X or black men doing Y, and never really associating our greatness uh, with things that happen in America and. And I know for you, there's a very unique story that Latinas have sort of like transgressed through. Um, There are a number of stereotypes that exist about Latina women. And so one of them is that you are all, quote unquote, like fiery, whatever that means. Um, And actually, a few years ago, I had a teacher say to another uh, Latina member on my staff um, in regards to her pants that she wore that they were spicy. Mm. Like, you got on spicy pants. Now, right. to me, I mean, mean, I associate, yeah, I associate <laughs> spicy with, like, hot sauce yeah, and, like, yeah. food. And so the fact that someone actually, like, saw someone's pants, I don't, I can't imagine a world in which I would say to someone else, like, you look, like, your pants look spicy. Um, and, and, and there are tons of different ones, like. You guys are all great cooks. That you wear tight clothing to show <laughs> off your voluptuous curves. That you are all EL like English language learners. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the most frustrating stereotype that yeah. you've encountered and that you've dedicated your life to sort of dispelling? Yeah. So I think that for one, people assume that because I am uh, young and um, you know attractive, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess I would say uh, that people question, you know, how I earn my role in leadership. You know, they question, like, how did you get the job? You know, like, why not me? And a lot of times that is because they are over sexualizing me as a Latina. um, And they they attribute me, you know, getting my job in in not the best ways versus earning the work that I've done and earning the role because I'm best for the role. Wow. Um, I also have to be very mindful of uh, the way I communicate because while I'm passionate about a lot of things, uh, they sort of push that to the side and think it's aggression. Mm. So uh, I can't disagree with anything in a way that doesn't, you know, it's not really heard or lands well with people because Mm. they will um, usually say like that I'm angry or I'm upset about something and going over the top when I'm just passionate about what I say and then I'm always going to speak my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, a couple of things. I can also remember like being pulled over by the cops and having the cops comment on my breast and asking for backup. Yeah, That uh, didn't actually happen. That happened. Yeah, I I would say two summers ago I was driving, um, it was summertime, and I remember driving, and I was wearing like a sundress and regular, Mm -hmm. and uh, I got pulled over. He said I was was talking on my phone when I had Bluetooth in my car, and uh, pulls (laughs) me over, and I get pulled over, and he stops behind me, and I'm seeing him through my side view mirror, and he's like making a a gesture, like a gesturing with his hands, like about my breast, and uh, then called another cop that came over in a motorcycle, and they both... Uh, sat there and spoke about me while I could hear it and see it and um, you know I sat in my car and fought the good fight and cried and 
took wow. my ticket and kept moving. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's that that's the world. That's it. It's uh it's okay for you to for 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 the to speak about my body and my hair and mm-hmm. um the way I'm dressed because I'm Latina and because Latinas are like that and they're sexy and every rap song has you know some uh, Spanish words in it around right. some Latina that they're doing something to. Right, right, right. Wow. That's I'm so sorry that you you had to like endure that experience with uh the the people who are supposed to hold us down and protect and serve our communities. Um I I heard you say something to the extent of like aggression and that makes me think of like as a black man sometimes I have to I wouldn't say monitor uh, well, yes, to a certain extent, monitor like how it is I'm coming across, especially because we work in contexts where we educate children who look like us, and like we have very similar backgrounds to the students who every day we see like a sense of hopelessness, or in the same vein, we see a sense of hope. Uh, of, of hope. Do you think that like that holds you back from being like your authentic self in the workplace? I think that um, I'm mindful, right? Mm-hmm. I think that I've learned how to. Uh, speak in a way that people will understand what I'm trying to say and versus like um, not hear my message and just attribute something to my mood or the way I'm uh, communicating. Mm-hmm. So um, I've I've learned to not silence myself, but but rather um, be mindful of the way I come off and be mindful of the words I use, even your gesture, hand gestures and your mm. facial expressions and things and are intimidating to white people. Yeah. Um, they are, whether we want to admit it or not. So um I'm not saying that I'm changing myself, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that um, I'm. I think I'm smart enough to to make sure that I'm mindful of being heard um, versus you know over reliant on like I'm saying these things and you should be able to hear and understand my argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I want my I want my words heard, so I'm mindful yeah. of the way I come off yeah. for sure. But white people don't have to endure that. No, it's a white person's world. Oh, Lord. <laughs> no, Let's absolutely. Let's not even go there. A- absolutely not. No, no. There's a lot of things that uh, they don't have to do, you know? Yeah. With, uh, I mean, arguing about salary, we can go on and on about, like, they demand what they want, or yeah. we have to, you know, beg and plead for for money. Yeah, no, I hear you. And it's, uh, speaking, like, I guess, of white people, um, I've been... Like, I'm so excited to have you as a guest as, like, one of our first um, Latinas in season one of Walking Your Excellence. And I think as Americans, we sometimes see a race in a dichotomy of, like, black and white, right? And we don't have to go into the nuances of what it means to be black and people of color and, like, all the all the constituents included in those categories. But I know that as a Latina, there are challenges that are specific to you. And I'm interested in your analysis, if you could compare and contrast to me the journey of, like, what it means to be African-American, what it means to be Latino, and how are they similar and different in terms of their experiences through through life? So um, my husband and I talk about this at home a lot for our children. Um, you know, um, my and husband's husband African-American, is, okay. and um, my children are, you know, beautiful, mixed Afro-Latino children. Nice. Um, God bless them. And uh, we talk a lot about how a lot of the things that my mom's parents lived with as mm-hmm. being um, natives to the land in, in, in Colombia and in Ecuador mm-hmm. and how that, sh- you know, they went through uh, slavery in their own way and that their land was like taken from them mm-hmm. in, in different ways and how, um, you know, um, my mom looked like an India and they would, she would get teased um, because of it. And we talk about just this idea of a suppression and what that means. And, you know, same thing with my husband. He shares stories around like being one of the few black males in his high school and how mm-hmm. that felt and mm-hmm. not really you know like having you know friends that were that were black like him and you know 
but there was like four or five and that was his crew mm -hmm. um, and that was it and um, so we talk a lot about that and even uh, sometimes we talk about his own friends that he had growing up that um, a lot of them actually you know married uh, a white girl um, mm. because it's what they went to school with it's you know they didn't see like Latinas or they didn't see you know African-American girls around so you sort of like decide to fall in love with your community and it is what it is but we talk to our children a lot about being you and loving yourself and being mindful of who you are and loving who you are and where you come from yeah whatever the good the bad the ugly yeah and owning that yeah i was gonna that's a, that's a beautiful message to send to students who you already know are gonna go through a marginalized experience and especially when they start trying like being around different kids and understanding their own identity and where they fit in the world and so that's a great message to send to them um talk to me a little bit about like one of your most challenging experiences in life and how you overcame it so um, I think most challenging as, as a 35 year old woman now, I think that uh, most challenging was probably in college. Uh, the first time I was away from my family, mm. I, I dormed at the Rutgers New Brunswick campus uh, my first year of college. And uh, being there was very hard. Mm. Um, I remember registering, I registered to vote and it was my first time voting. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to go vote and I remember um, it was sort of like the first time I experienced racism and uh, I lined up and it was the first time voting so they give you like a little card when they check your name right, right. and I remember this older white man asked me uh, how do you spell your last name and I spelled it and you know my last name uh, my maiden last name is Flores with the Z at the end mm -hmm. so I spelled it F-L-O-R-E-Z and he said there should be an S at the end and I said no and my last name is Flores not like flowers, and that's how you would spell it with the S, it's Flores, like a last name. And he said, well, when your family came over here on whatever boat they came on, they spelled it wrong. Wow. And I remember standing there, and my biggest regret is that I didn't say anything. Mm. I didn't know what to say. I was I was confused, I, was, I couldn't believe he said it. Yeah. Um, and I remember going home a week later and talking to my mom about it, and my mom basically said like, you know, she said her own things that I should have said to him, like included a lot of curse words, but, uh, <laughs> you know, imagine. she was disappointed in me, yeah. you know, she mm. was just like, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you stand up for yourself? You know, like I've taught you better and you know better. And, yeah. and, uh, I think it was something I, it was really hard for me to deal with because growing up in either Brooklyn or now in the town I live in, it's, it's all people of color. Yeah. So I actually didn't have any white friends. Right. So I didn't think I was an outsider the way that man made me feel. Mm -hmm. I never knew that until I went to college. Yeah. And now you're an educator, right? And like, you know that our, our students are going to have those same experiences. What avenues or what strategies or like, how do you go about educating kids on like in that moment, right? I, I, I firmly believe that the most dangerous conversations about race are the ones we don't have, right? And so a lot of our kids are going to leave our high schools, leave our middle schools, going into a world that they have to navigate and it doesn't look like them. And so like you, and you had that experience, and I've had, I, I can list out a million of experiences. I had a teacher who told me, um, it was maybe my third year teaching, uh, and they, we were having a conversation about a particular class that she struggled with. And I was like, I was an okay teacher, like behavior management, like kids sat down, they knew I, came, I didn't come to play, a little <laughs> tough love, that's what I think our right kids on. need sometimes. Uh, but I didn't have these particular struggles that she was identifying, and so I just turned around and tried to offer her some strategies. And so at the end of the strategies that I thought were really profound, um, she said to me, well, you know, Mr. Stevens, it's, you're good with them because you're, because you're black. Mm. And I mean, 
I, so I did not take the stance that you took <laughs> with that gentleman, uh, and I might not have taken the most professional stance now in reflection. I've grown a lot, thank yeah, God. Yeah. Um, but I looked at her and I said, well, I said, well, that was very ignorant of you to say. Like, I guess you're, you, you're undermining my Ivy League education. You're undermining my teacher training. You're, underli- you're undermining my, my master's degrees that I have already obtained to educate children right. in an effective manner. And so you're saying that because I'm good with this class that I'm black, mm-hmm. And like I just left it, yeah, like I just left it at that. And she was like dumbfounded. And eventually I came to understand that she, because she had grown up in this like rural, like in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by only people who look like her, like that her lack of knowledge was where that was coming from. But now that you have gained so much knowledge and you have navigated and you are a leader, a transformational change agent in the world of education, how do you go about teaching our students to have those same conversations with people? You have to know your worth, Mm. you know? You have to know your values, and you have to know that you mean something. You have to know what you bring to the table. And I think with the children every single day, talking to them about how important they are Mm -hmm. and how important and beautiful their lives are and uh, what they have to bring. And I think that, like, it took me a while to, to, to learn my worth, right? And it came through, like, it went in phases. Like, first I learned my worth as, like, an, a student, okay. right? Then I learned my worth as a woman, right? And, like, that was probably, like, the highlight of, of, my, of my life learning that, you know, you don't have to like back every guy that gives you a little bit of energy, right? You mm. just you know your worth. You're worth a lot. Yeah. And um, with the children, I think talking to them about that and talking to them and bringing to light the things that they have that are beautiful and amazing, like how smart they are and how hard they work mm-hmm. um, and how dedicated they are and how passionate passionate they are, um, those things, knowing those things and valuing those things. Because I think t- a lot of times as people, we get um, the, you're just good at that. Right. Right. And it's, it's, it, that's not it. Like it takes skill in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, being good with uh, children in the classroom and, and knowing how to run a, a classroom that's, that's effective takes work. Mm-hmm. It's not just because of anything. It's because you're mindful and you're thoughtful and you're planned and you're skilled. Yeah. Um, so not letting anyone just chop up your traits and just say you're just good because of whatever. Yeah. Um, naming the things that you are good, but you have to take some time unpacking those things. Yeah. What is my worth? What am I good at? You know, and how do I capitalize on these things so that, you know, I can also speak to them? Yeah. And so what I hear you saying is that, like, if I were to ask you what advice you would give to young Latinas out there, um, the younger Veronicas of the world, like, know your worth would be another one. What other message would you want them to have? Uh, know your worth. I think that I I live and uh, sort of die by this quote by Maya Angelou that she wrote in a letter to my daughter. And she says, uh, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. Wow. And um, that speaks mountains, I think, of what I want young Latinas in education or young Latinas in any field, honestly, to live by because everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. We all had something that happened to us, but um, you can't control what you end up doing with it and learning the lesson in it. Nice. Couple quick questions to close out. What, um, if you had a magic wand and can change anything about the education system, what would it, what would you do? Um, I would like to create uh, an opportunity for um, our schools, which are mainly, um, are mainly in, in, in areas of black and brown children. Mm-hmm. I would like to create some of the same uh, things that we offer these affluent schools, like the, 
the Pingrees of the world and the $30,000 a year schools mm-hmm. and like sort of uh, norm the, the, the programming. You know, okay. I think that uh, what we do right now in a lot of our schools is do extra and go above and beyond. It's a longer day. It's mm. more classes. It's like really intense. Um, I always call it like school on steroids. <laughs> I, I sometimes have a problem with the fact that we have to do all of that and in the name of just being servicing black and brown children. Yeah. Why can't we offer the same type of uh, programming for all children? What makes our children so different? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I grapple with that too, right? And so I've, I like you probably have, have, have served in a traditional um, public school system and in a charter world. And I like to, we're not going to talk about this, we don't have time to, but I like to call it the, the white architects of black education. And how sometimes I do feel very, very slighted that we have to, you know, pull out, do the dog and pony like show um, for kids who who just just want to learn. Right. Like, why can't it be right. the same? Well, if it's um, good for for all children, then we should just do it. Yeah, let's, let's not do it because it's good for black and brown children. Yeah. Uh, lastly, Veronica, tell us how how you walk in your excellence every day. Yeah, for me, excellence is about not letting things stopping you stop you. Mm-hmm. I think it's about persevering. I think it's about finding the lesson in everything that you encounter. Mm. Um, so I walk in my excellence by making sure that I'm not going to be held down by anything that happened to me, but instead I'm going to use that to be, you know, extraordinarily gritty mm. um, and and learning and taking a lesson from everything that happens in your life. Nice, nice. And where can we find you? Yep, so feel free to email me at vavery um, at kipnj.org. If you're in education, if you need any advice on leadership or in the classroom, videos, mentorship, um, hopping on the phone for sure, um, I would say that that's the best way to get in contact with me. Awesome, awesome. Well, Veronica, I just want to thank you. I had a phenomenal time uh, speaking with you. I think that there are so many uh, young Latinas who will be inspired by you. And I, uh, on a personal, on a personal, I see you interact like as a professional um, every day and am always inspired and motivated by how you have such amazing balance of I am who I am unapologetically. Um, I know what's best for kids and I have kids in mind and I'm going to do whatever it takes. It's very, very rare that I quote Malcolm X, but you truly do whatever it takes to educate kids. And I want you to feel empowered by that and continually be this amazing woman that you are. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Well, guess you heard it here first. uh, Miss Veronica Avery, the educator, the Latina leader and the role model for so many young women. Thanks for listening. And this is your host, Sean Larry. Until next time, define who you are. Follow your passion. Speak your truth. Be unapologetically you. And remember, always walk in your excellence. Walk in Your Excellence is recorded at Necessary Studios in New York City. Produced by myself, Maya, and Nikki. Follow us on Instagram at NEC Studios. I'm your host, Sean Larry. You can find me on Instagram at Formula22, at Walk in Your Excellence. Tag the hashtag Walk in Your Excellence and visit my website, www.seanlarry.com. That's S-E-A-N-L-A-R-R-Y. Define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence.